Mike, thanks ever so much for taking the time to speak to me. Um, I've really been looking forward to the opportunity. Now, uh, how's the second lockdown treating you? Uh, it's not too bad, really. I've been, uh, I picked up some work sort of after about three months of the first lockdown, and I've been pretty busy since, really. It's been quite good. So, um, yeah, it's not too bad, really. Um, you know, just just got to accept it and move on and mm. see how we go, really. Yeah, yeah it's, fine. it's good to hear that you're, you're able to sort of navigate through it well, because, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people within, uh, you know, a creative field uh, have sort of not been able to take it in the stride as well, and yeah absolutely I, I mean I, I deal with a lot of musicians and talk to a lot of musicians and it's sort of like yeah that's really hit them hard without the live sort of music going on um so yeah i being pretty blessed we're doing all right yeah that, that's great to hear as I say and Rob Sloman is the guy that turned me on to you you know he's a, a mutual <laughs> connection he's a he's a really great guy I feel you know in the, in the short space of time that I've been you know aspiring to work within media and whatnot um he's really helped me out um you can see within his career you know what he's achieved you know you only have to look at the success of howard's way which you know recently i think we're you know we're just past the the first year of the uh the anniversary uh, and not too long ago that absolutely exploded <laughs> yeah it's been it's it's been great watching that go out into the world like any film or or, or show you work on it is really nice to see it go out there and, and catch an audience and you know, there's nothing better than sort of sitting there amongst people watching it. it when they're enjoying it, mm. <laughs> they might give you a mouthful occasionally. But, yeah, it, it is. And it's been really pleasing to see him do that because, you know, I've worked with him for years and, you know, just been Everton this and Everton that. And <laughs> I want to do this and this is what you want to do. And I, I've, I've been lucky to be alongside him when he's done, you know, two of them, certainly with Everton and with a film he did about Seve, two of his absolute, you know, sporting heroes really mm. yeah i mean us evertonians tend to be that way bloody obsessive I, i've noticed i work with, a, with two or three of you <laughs> <laughs> but um you know of course you were the, the editor for, for howard's way for those that don't know and i've got many friends that are looking to you know pursue careers within editing and you've worked go on... back go back it's go back. <laughs> <laughs> time to change <laughs> mm. you've you've worked on some wonderful projects you know with some big companies and some brilliant clients uh, you were born and raised in, in Perth Australia if the yep. if the about page served me right so if you wouldn't mind could you just give us some insight and share the story as to how you've got to where you are today uh yeah it's interesting I, I, I probably had a sort of a fair bit of interest in um, media and tv I, from an earlier age but it wasn't something you pursued at school um it wasn't something that you could get decent marks for and go on to university or anything like that so i sort of avoided it and in the end wound my way back to it strangely i, I took a job with the the western australian tourism commission and ended up in their marketing side and we started taking photos and, and being involved in the advertising campaigns. And it just sort of tweaked my interest. So I went and studied film and television in a place called Mount Lawley in Perth and sort of took it from there, really. Ended up as a video technician in one of the uh, tertiary colleges up north in Western Australia. And from there, my sister, at the she, she went to work for Sky News in England and she said, listen, there's plenty of work here. Why don't you come over? 
So I came over and started blagging as an editor, basically. <laughs> sort of uh, jumped in at Sky and, um, you know, that was the type of place where you could just get in and, and do. If you did, you could do. You know what I mean? It wasn't mm -hmm. sort of like you had to wait six months before you could do that. You had to wait, you know. Uh, it was like, can you edit? Yes. Do you want to edit? Yes. And away you went and picked up a bunch of freelance shifts that sort of way and and just took it from there and spent 10 years with Sky overall uh, in news and then worked up to Sky Sports where I met said Rob Slaman working on uh, golf actually. Nice. Uh, we, sh we shared a love of golf and we started playing golf together and um, but all through that I worked on the football, basketball, rugby, anything that they threw at you and then wound my way back strangely to Sky News and started working on their their longer form program so any little documentaries about news uh little showbiz programs they had technology programs and all through my time i was just meeting people who were leaving sky and going elsewhere mm. and and that's how i ended up sort of starting my freelance career which started with channel four cricket uh, i became i became the sort of senior editor on that creating all their openers and uh, working on their magazine program. And it was fantastic. I was, you know, pig in shit, as they say. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> I loved cricket. Uh, I could go up to Lords at any point I wanted to. We were constantly sort of, you know, having a great time, cutting a great program. And yeah, it was brilliant. Brilliant. Um, really nice yeah, but that's sort of that's what I say. That's what kickstarted that. And, and from there, I just kept meeting people and, and different opportunities arise. Rob yeah. and I continued to work after I left Sky. We sort of found our way back to each other. He was working for a company in Brighton. And uh, we started making stuff together again there. And that's where we started on sort of the Sevy documentaries. And we did the British Lions together. Just you know, too many, too many things that we've worked on that um, yeah, we enjoyed and um, we got paid for sometimes, which is mm. even better. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that, that's really interesting to, to hear and especially something that I want to ask about later on is that the nature of free, working freelance because that is obviously, it's, it's a situation that many people often find themselves in um, especially now, you know, we were talking about it, it's quite hard to break into the sort of creative um, and media realm um, and it's, a, as I say, a position that people find themselves in often for the first time. You know, I know many students who are, uh, offering themselves as freelance and um, to get as many tips possible for them that would be fantastic but one of the yeah. things I wanted to ask before that was during lockdown I've been watching again I think it's like for the third or fourth time what I believe to be the greatest tv show of you know ever the Sopranos um, yeah. and I've Big been um, I, I absolutely love it. And they've, um, Chris, Christopher Moltisanti and Steve Sharipa, two actors from the show, have recently come out with the Talking Sopranos podcast where they go over episodes um, in depth and just sort of give an analysis of it. And, and that, to watch an episode and then watch the, the, the podcast side by side, it's just been really insightful. Um, and uh, as I tend to do with things that I get obsessed with, I go down like, you know, YouTube rabbit, <laughs> rabbit holes. Um, and I came across a an interview between Peter Bogdanovich and the creator David Chase. Um, and David Chase said that, you know, despite all the different directors and producers involved in the show, he wouldn't let anyone other than himself touch the editing. Oh, that's then, interesting, yeah. 
why do you think that is and what are the elements of editing that make it so important to yourself it's it's interesting that because you know this i think editors this it's it seems to be a 50 50 split in a way that editors are there to push the buttons or editors are there to you know make it what it is now i've i've done both things you know i i, I think the the key thing for an editor is to be a bit of a chameleon and work out pretty quickly what's required of you but for what he's saying i think what an editor can bring is a consistency because whether we know it or not, I think we, we cut in certain rhythms. Mm -hmm. We, we, we bring to it our own sort of our love of art, our love of music, whatever, but something that internally ticks over. Yeah. There's, there's rules you can follow, you know, don't cross the line. Make sure you cut over a bit of overlapping this. It's sort of, but I think everyone has their natural sort of, I don't know it's like a metronome sort of going and and that probably what you see over the course of the sopranos it never felt like any episode didn't fit mm. and so i i think that's probably what he's saying about that um it's very it's a hard one because i don't like to study it too much yet uh or th overthink it yeah probably t the times i do is when i'm sitting down trying to teach someone something and i realize oh hey i know a little bit more than i thought i knew <laughs> and b stuff i do is a little bit instinctive you know i'll have something presented to me and i'll just say well why don't we turn it that way turn it that way bring it this way and that, and that's what you do it is it's it's a it's a bit like life it's an ongoing experiment and edit you know if once once you think you've got it nailed on a bit of paper and you and that you don't have to do anything else you you do the a film or a tv show to a bit of to being a bit nothing really mm. I'm not sure that's answered the question, but it's... No. What I get... <laughs> again, it's similar to... It sort of comes full circle again to, to being, you know, an individual in a creative field, like similar to a, to a director. Like, everybody has their own house style within their own domain is what I'm getting from that, which I find is, is really interesting. Yeah. And Obviously, again, as you've said, you've got a clear love for sport and music, and I feel like obviously the subject matter um, goes a long way to, you know, the editor's abilities themselves. Now, during one of my modules in second year at university, each Monday we would edit managers' press conferences from the Saturday just gone. Um, oh, okay. And for me again like you said when you were doing the cricket I was like a pig and shit I was so happy to to sit there and listen to the likes of Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho dissect and analyze what had gone on because you know in my estimation I consider them just geniuses within the field yeah. um but on the flip side to that when it comes to editing my own work or editing my own podcasts it's the most painful and labored experience <laughs> Uh, imaginable so as I say how important do you think subject matter is to for an editor yeah that's interesting yeah I, I think some people bring me into into projects because of my sport background to to not deal with sports almost to give it another feel mm. so and yeah I do do a lot of sport and I do enjoy it. And I, I enjoy the idea that 
visually it's it's a different medium because it's never going to be exactly the same so you know how a player moves um how they follow him on camera and so forth that's different every time yet there's a narrative to be told um oh dear, dear. i've done stuff i haven't i don't like the subject matter mm. but i've still enjoyed the edit you know because it is in, it is digging out a story it is it is finding, you know, enjoying what seeing something new. That's the other thing. And it's always quite funny when you're doing an edit and you've probably done the same. Sometimes you're sitting and you're meant to be sort of critically watching it and you find yourself just watching it. And sort of, I, I stop myself 20 minutes into something. And think, oh, I was meant to be checking that. Maybe check. Well, that's a win because what I've done is I enjoyed the edit. I've enjoyed mm. the program. Yeah. So. I think you can be too close to things sometimes. I mean, that's probably Rob might have said this to you. It, it was quite good for him to have someone like me in who was very cold to Everton. Not in a, not that I hate Everton way, but in a, you know, it means something to you, but it, frankly, it, it's it's nothing. It, it's You've got to jettison it, you know, so I could be quite cold with things. Oh, and he'd be like, oh, well, I like that because that's sort of that little, well, we'd keep a couple, but things I'd be sort of going, you really don't need to, see that mm -hmm. so by not working in a field or an area that you really know you can bring a lot to it as well definitely um and just following up on that again how did you find the the whole experience as, a, as an outsider if you will working on howard's way i i really liked it because what the joy for me was and it's something i wanted to do for a while because rob and i have worked on things in the past which have been full expansive overviews of things and the, it's quite a popular thing at the moment to take a big subject but look at a chunk of the life of it so they, they did it in the oasis film didn't they yeah uh, yeah it's just like it's up to nebworth and it's dead leave it and i like that about the everton film i like that we could go yeah let's look at that yeah there's peripheral stuff either side that you need to cover but to actually find a, a chunk and go really dig into it that i love that about it that was great and then of course like everyone you warm to that team you how can you not because they were fantastic they're mm. dead funny and you know, equally they're just a a snapshot of a time aren't they you know the, the, the shit that you couldn't get away with now and yeah <laughs> and, and how they approach things and you know how they approach the game and life and it's it's yeah, I grew up in that era as well. It's, it was it was ace watching it. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm really envious of anyone who got to grow up watching football in that time, proper football, you know, um, uh, especially given that Everton were as good as you were around that time. But uh, well, did... the comparison, the comparison for me is I, I grew up watching the sort of '70s cricketers, you know, and that was you know that was a different world that was you know hold my cigarette i'm going out to, <laughs> going out to bat sort of thing and that was that same time was this idea that the sportsmen were one of us and realized and were lucky to be out there playing and, and just lived their life and off they went and did that yeah i don't, don't get me wrong i think you, you can't fault sportsmen today and the fitness levels and the speed that they can achieve things but yeah Oh, you know, a fag at half time. That's. <laughs> oh, I know it, it's similar to a footballer being able to go go to the local pub after the game and and enjoy a pint without being, you know, absolutely bombarded. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and exactly. I guess that it points to a complete sort of revolution within sport. You know, the rise of the sport and celebrity, which, as you say, you can't necessarily fault them for it because 
the industry is what it is, the value of it has yeah. rised incredibly. Yeah. yeah. But it yeah. is what it is. I mean, yeah. I, I will pre-warn you, though, if you're warming to Everton, don't get too close because they're only going to end up hurting you. <laughs> Especially in the modern day. But um, as I say, being as infatuated with football as I am, the project that stuck out to me when looking at your portfolio um, was, you know, the one on Zidane. My dad absolutely loved Zidane and went to Zidane's last game, which was the 2006 World Cup final, which, you know, famous for the headbutt. Um, Obviously, the Leicester one, the, the Leicester one really stuck out. But I do have to say as well, the one on Andre Ward and his letter to Muhammad Ali, it, it just gave me chills because any anything about Ali, yeah. um, I, I absolutely love it. Um, again, again, that nice little thing, of, even though it was a small piece, it was still just a, you know, a little key key moment out of someone's life, and I, mm-hmm. it worked well. We we can't thank Rob for that. There was a, a director called David Finch. Rob was involved as producer on it as well. But um, yeah, that worked beautifully, and um, that was that was a lovely coming together of. of director and producer and the guy who did graphics you know that we had we had time to do it often a piece that's three or four minutes long you've got half a day or a day and you've got to really bang it out yeah that sort of thing we could spend a bit of time on it and it it shows you know and you it's one of those things you know that people say well, why do you need extra time well because then it ends up looking like that and it doesn't look like you know a one show let's go and meet a, you know, a boxer sort of thing you know yeah no no offense to anyone who works on the lunch <laughs> but that's the idea that you know a little bit of collaboration a little bit of time and something great comes out of it yeah of course and like we were just talking about then it when you've got that time to work with things you almost it's also it's all it's almost as if it takes it back to the sort of days of yesteryear where you're allowed to have a sort of sentimental look into this inside of a you know an athlete's life uh, and just Agreed. exactly what Ali meant to award, which comes across within the you know the short couple of minutes that you you watch the film. Agreed. Um, but that's that's a that's a bit of sign of the times as well. We we, we want our, our footballers, our sportsmen, our, our actors, whoever, to be characters and to have opinions. But when they do, they get torn down by by the media or whoever, by fans. And you think, well, don't say you want that and then throw it in their face. Mm. It's, you know, you do have to, to buy the bike. Oh, of course, you only you only have to look at the sort of the treatment of Marcus Rashford lately, which is <laughs> very, very strange. Very yeah. strange. Um, but obviously, you know, I listed some of the projects that you've worked on there. Um, it'd be really interesting to hear what were the most enjoyable projects that you got the chance to work on and following that what were the most challenging projects that you've worked on uh generally the challenging ones are if if there's a lot of back and forth if so you know there's a hierarchy so if say rob's employed me to do for example the zidane piece or or the lester one now we've got a bit of leeway creatively because he's come up with the ideas or between us we've come up with the ideas but then there becomes a layer above that of someone you've got to please. And then you find out, actually, that person you were trying to please, there's someone else on top of that you're trying to please. Mm. So the committee edit decisions start floating back down. And any editor who works within you know 
this sort of environment will tell you that. And it's all about notes. You get notes back. And sometimes it's sort of, you think, what do they mean? Why do they think that's going to make it better? And it, it generally boils out of something that they're looking for something you haven't got or, you know, that someone's not said. Uh, so the, the difficult ones are those, the where, where the notes just keep coming back and they, they, they just smack the essence of what you're trying to do completely mm. out of it. So all the beautiful music cuts you've made and everything that's hit the beat, you're changing because someone says, oh, there's a there's a, something in the background we can't see or there's... So those become these fights. And the ones that are a joy are generally when, as I said before, when everyone's just working as a team to get it right. Well, my days on Channel 4 Cricket, that's what it was like. There was no one sort of blocking you to, to stop you doing something. It was, here's an idea, and everyone went, all right, how do we make that happen? How do we make it better? Do you need more help for that? Yeah, And then you end up with a something something that's still talked about today, Channel 4 Cricket, you know, and the coverage and how, and that, that was across the board. That was just what I was doing. That was everyone going, how can we make this better? How can we make it more interesting? So those are the ones that really, yeah, and then other things are just little wins, you know, little wins in um, uh, when you've got a music track that you really love and you present it and someone goes, yeah, let's use that. Or just, I still think of little moments, just key edits in things. And I think, oh, that was good. And, and you try to replicate it years later. So sometimes it's little victories. I always say to people too, that sometimes an editor's job is, is sort of up to about the 75% mark. It's all, you know, fun and games and cutting and telling the story. And then you've got 25% of technical stuff at the end of getting it right, making sure that it's allowed to go on air, you know, that are the graphics safe? And these things that all of a sudden just keep getting thrown back at you, trying to be a bit artistic with something and someone goes, well, no, that's that graphics out of safe. We can't broadcast it. Now, it's, it doesn't matter on the internet, but on TV, it still matters, you know. And many times I've been sent stuff back because... I've sort of just got lost in the moment. <laughs> mm. Start putting things everywhere. And they go, we can't broadcast that. We can't broadcast that. So you have to start reining things in. And then you have to get the audio right. You have to do an audio mix. You have to, you know, the grading. As much as I like grading, once it gets over about 10 minutes, I'm like, really? Can I, can I go home now? Can I give this to someone else? You know? So th the good bits are when you're just lost in an edit and, you know, the wife bangs on the door and says, you said you were coming down for dinner half an hour ago. I said, well, it's only half an hour. She guess that was two hours ago. And you just realise you've just been playing with 90 seconds of something and just smiling every time you watched and smiling every time you found another shot and thought, oh, that's better than that shot. That's, mm. yeah, that's, it's great. That is really good. And particularly if you've been involved in the shoot. So I've done a couple of films myself and there's moments when you've been on, been out filming and I've come in to edit and it works. And you just it's looking around in your lonesome little room. Going, <laughs> yeah, Why me, you know. So yeah, it's just it's little victories, and there's you know, and I've I've had reactions and you know very nice reactions to stuff. I would say I'm not super proud of, but yeah, take the compliments when they come because you know they don't always come. Mm, of course, for me, I feel. You were saying, you know, it, it's sort of the creative process up to about 75%. Um, and that's the sort of essence of, of narrative and storytelling. I think that's, you know, a big part of the reason why I love podcasting so much. You know, it's a it's a long form 
platform oh, yeah. to be able to tell I'll stories and storytelling abilities. Whereas when it gets that final technical side of things, that's where I just fall short. Um, just where <laughs> my my enthusiasm uh, for editing just <laughs> just stops uh, at that limit. Um, but one of the things that you touched on just before was when you're working within a company, there's often sort of gatekeepers um, above you within the hierarchy uh, of the organization. Um, And on the flip side to that, is this sort of symbiotic team environment where everybody's on the same page and everybody wants to to help each other out. Um, This sort of brings me into the the question about freelancing. what were the biggest learning curves of working within that sort of rigid structured environment in comparison to freelancing and you know did what you learn stand you in better stead for freelancing uh yes i suppose so with the in the world of news where i've come from and and sky sports and all that sort of area of coming out of sky and a big juggernaut like that was the fact that you did have to work with different people each day. So, you know, I'd be put on a, a football edit for the weekend, and then the next day, next Tuesday and Wednesday, when I'm in, I'd be doing basketball. So you're starting to meet those different people. But for, for absolutely landing out in the, the big bad world, I was lucky because I was throwing that line from Channel 4 Cricket. So I was offered a four-month, five-month contract mm. in the summer. I mean, they call it the summer contract five months who's had five months of summer in this country <laughs> and it's like so that was that was great so at the end of that that was the moment the first time i really probably became freelance on the back of that but it was because of that people go oh i, I saw what you did there and would contact me so gradually it started you know there became less days at home you know less days waiting for the phone to ring and i started being booked ahead and ahead and you've just got to be careful to to keep what's was it to, to keep reeling in new clients now i don't deliberately go out of my way to do that i'm no i'm no networker or anything but occasionally reputation I'll, reputation yeah reputation does that but it doesn't always go that far i mean you know i've got a i'm known as a sports editor and i wish i wasn't in a way sometimes because i think people go well he's just a sports editor you know, and we don't, and there is, you know, it can be very cliquey, or he's not going to be able to do drama, or he's not going to be able to do a thing about, you know, rats in the northeast or something like that. And it's, it's like, I, I don't see that. I think an editor's an editor, and he can tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I think also, like I said before, bringing a bit of sport mentality to another program could help really change it and make it stand out. But freelancing is is it's a bit of a scary world, yeah. It is sometime. I, I mean, touch wood. I've not had any real killer times when I've gone. Okay, where's the next job coming from? Um, and there's always been stuff I could fall back on. Yeah, you know, there's. Don't get me wrong. There's jobs out there I take, and they're paying the mortgage. You know, and there's jobs I take which I don't really like the job, but I really like the people I work with. And think, well, that's a that's going to be a nice week spent with that guy and that, yeah. that girl and that you know that team and and so you sort of okay, I'll go and do that. And there's other jobs where I've just sat swearing in a in a booth in a cold, <laughs> cold truck 
old truck in Sweden somewhere. <laughs> no, that, that, that's some, you, you know who you are if you're listening. That's some, that's some really interesting insight, I would say. And um, I was reading... I and was, also, the other... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, go on. I, I don't mean to cut you well, off. The, the tough thing with freelancing is is you have to be... You, you are, like I said before, you have to be a chameleon. You have to be a little bit, what does this person really want out of me? Because, you know, producers and directors have great ideas and bad ideas. And the ones who've got really good ideas and great ideas, run with them because you're going to look good on the back of it as well. Put the picture where he wants it. Use that bit of music that he wants to use. And, you know, and sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to build something to everyone have a look at it and go, Right, well, that's a bit shit, isn't it? What do we do now? That's when you can step in and go, well, get rid of that, get rid of that, and that guy's boring. Mm. And I've had I've had people do it to my work as well. They come in and go, well, who cares about that person? Who cares about that story? Only you, Brookie, or only you, Rob. And that's sort of what you do. I, f- I found that really interesting. And as I say, like I was looking through the some of the Eurasian activity and to work with the likes of, of IMG, uh, and FIFA, so they're really, really big clients. Uh, what were yeah. those experiences like? Ah, oh, always, always fun. IMG have been great to me over the years. I've, you know, I've done some great stuff with IMG, and um, and and that's part of uh, most of that work came from working at Sky. People left Sky and went to work for IMG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and literally, IMG. I ran into a bloke in a supermarket, and he said, "Oh, what are you doing now?" I said, "Oh, I've gone freelance." He goes, "Oh, great." Exchanged numbers, and I started working at ING. Huh. And then, you know, someone leaves ING and ends up at FIFA. So I start working at FIFA, you know. And, I, and last year, I spent a bit, a fair bit of time with FIFA doing bits and bobs. And it was great. I mean, you know, again, not the biggest football fan, like it. But I tell you what, nice, nice having that archive to dive into. Of course. <laughs> you know, I was just like... Oh, yeah, if we've got anything more of us or such, yeah, just all this stuff will come out. You're like, okay, there we go. And they're, they're a company that really cares about the quality of the image as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, I've worked in environments where we just grab what you can, but suddenly you're seeing those sort of, you know, the, you know, one generation back from the original film of Mexico and things like that. So you're looking and going, wow, this looks magnificent, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you're seeing the 20 seconds on either side, which... You know, most programs either can't afford it or haven't got commercially or financially or the time to run the whole thing. So all you see is Maradona do that. But, you know, if you've got the whole match, mm. <laughs> you're like, yeah, that's fascinating. Don't get me wrong. And, but, you know, they're, again, they're a big organisation that has a, can do things by committee as well. So, you know, that can be frustrating. And that's IMG, Sky, all of those companies. But... Uh, I'm trying to think what other companies I work for that probably. Um, it's interesting though because in the end you're you're working for a smaller company that provides a, a bigger company sometimes. You know, obviously Rob and I have done that in the past as well. And you know, it's, it's just it's fun to see your work go out. It's fun to have people comment on it. Um, not always positive as we said before, but um, yeah, it's the, the nature and, of the game. Oh yeah, absolutely, and it, you know you've got to have a bit of a tough skin about it sometimes. And equally, uh, it's you know it's a creative field. It's like not everyone's going to like it. You know, I I prefer Wilco to Coldplay. You know, what I mean, it's like that's just what it is. You know, <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, they're bad. I do. Yes, it does. Anyway. <laughs> no, I, I understand entirely. And just just on FIFA, there, I think you you know you you paid a good compliment to them there, and I, I've got to back that up. Like especially during the initial lockdown, and I found one of the one of the moves that the sports sector made uh, during the first lockdown was to stream old matches but as, as you say because they've got the the entire footage they'll show mm. you the entire build-up to the game they'll show you the aftermath yeah. of the game and i remember watching the you know the the 1998 world cup final the the 2004 world cup final 2006 world cup final not 2004 sorry 2002 but um and the the recent documentary from the 2018 world cup like they come up with a with a documentary um just to sort of just tell the story of the entire tournament, they could because uh, they've got so much to work with. They tell so many different narratives within, yeah. you know, the two hours, um, and that yeah, was- and they get they get great sport directors in to do it. You know, they pick and choose who who they can, and and people like to work for them, and and they do set out with an with a story to tell at the start, and hopefully everything falls in place, and and they've just and they've got the access. I mean, tell, you know, people tell you that's the key and in sports and making films and, and any of this is can you get access and of course FIFA have got it <laughs> yeah no, uh, that, 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 as, <laughs> as you as you explain that must be you know that must be absolutely amazing for an editor to be able to go in um and just to have so many tools at the disposal yeah know? and also to have the, the the knowledge behind it so the people I've worked with there you know again I go in as someone who can cut sport but, you know, I can't tell you who, who was playing at such and such. And they'd say, well, we need a shot of such and such. And this bloke, and I go, yeah, that's great. What does he look like? You know, <laughs> thank, thank you, Google. But, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and that's what you need. And that's that combination of things. When you build something and you know it works as a, an edit because you've got all the moves and it hits the beats and it hits, hits some of those off beats and things like that. But then someone says, yeah, that's great, but um, you can't have that guy. You can't have that guy. So you go and look for somebody to replace it. And that's that knowledge behind you and people working as one trying to make a decent product. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you, you touched on, obviously they hired the best of the best in regard to directors for the projects. Um, and I know you've done a fair share of directing as well. Um, one of the, done <laughs> yeah, done a few, uh, what, something else that came out of the, the David Chase interview that I was listening to was that he said that, you know, the the greats of the greats, the Coppola's, the Tarantino's, the, you know, the, you know, your names, the, the Kubrick's, they, they're just the, the best of the best. However, your average run-of-the-mill director, you could even take them out of the mix and you've got so many different f- elements and factors in play that the film's going to get made regardless. People are working to timeline. People have got to get stuff done. I was just wondering what your take is on on working as a director uh i uh, part of the thing that drove me was just having ideas that i wanted to try and i I always i thought i wanted to i'd have an idea a random idea and think gee that could work and then i'd it would sit with me for a while and then i'd find a subject to do it on that's why i came about doing my my first one and it was and also it was part of me going yeah, I shouldn't sit here and abuse directors for the rest of my life. Maybe I should do it myself and maybe I'll get a better understanding of them. And I just wanted to do something. I mean, I, I, every three or four years, if I'm not trying something new or 
you know, got a new client that's making me do something else or, you know, Rob and I, is, it's a good example. We've done smaller things, bigger things, and then, you know, it's building up to this point where hopefully over the next two or three years, we can start, keep doing more Everton films and, you know, and that sort of bigger stuff. And that's been how I've gone over the last five years is, you know, getting some feature documentaries under my, under my mm. belt. And it's been great. So as a director, the, the one story I, I probably overtell is that because I was filming some stuff as well, I was always, always the editor was always in my head. So I'd be filming something and, and just many times you just did a camera go down like that. And I knew in my head, I was going, I'm never going to fucking use that. <laughs> no, yeah. And it just, it was just classic moments just going, no, nah, fuck. You know? Yeah. Funny enough, it became quite a running gag when I was cutting the film because I'd be sitting there going, oh, is anything good? And then I'd just see it go down, I'd think. And I'd hear myself in that environment and, and just laugh. But but that's what you do. You do sort of go for moments and think, oh, I can, I can see that. Visually, I can see that and quickly grab something else that I know will work with it. Or if you're on, you're filming somewhere and you've instantly got that shot in your head and you think, okay, next time we film with that guy, let's get this because that's going to work well with what we shot back in Perth and what we're shooting in Brisbane now. And also it was important for me to not make, why go out and make something that I make with other people? I thought it was important for me, if, if I'm making a, the two films that I've made both have a sort of a con conceit about them or a concept and to me that was the important thing i want i didn't want to just make a film that i i make with other people it's a bit i don't know is it like someone have making a solo album well don't make it sound like the band you know get your own thing and it's and so for me that was important go and make something a bit different and something that you want to do because ultimately it's your credit card paying for it so fuck <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. You, you know, I commend you for that. You know, the there's, there's a lot of stuff that is exactly the same out in TV land and film land, and it, that that perturbs me more than anything. You know, so make something different. Don't make what's already there. Yeah, you only have to look at films over the last what 20, yeah. 20 years. Yeah, exactly. The amount of like um, sequels and the sorts of just hashed out remakes that have that have come out Agreed. over the years yeah spiography these are all sequels basically isn't it mm -hmm. yeah mm. definitely um and uh, as far as some of the experiences in terms of like just experience in different cultures going to different places as it give you many opportunities in that regard <laughs> yeah it, it has um i again something i say is i i'm i'm not a good traveler with work because I find it frustrating to be in somewhere lovely and I'm in the back of a truck or in a, <laughs> in a recreation hall or, you know, a shed somewhere. So I've moved away from I tried not to travel with work because it became frustrating. Later in the last sort of four years, I have travelled again. <laughs> and uh, uh, the guy, guys I work with will know this. Says, I go because I get to play nice golf courses. So I've, I've taken a bit of a Samuel Jackson approach to things. <laughs> I, I go and do some golf work because I say to them, if we're, if we're working at that course, can I play it? And they were like, yeah, okay, all right, I'll come. <laughs> no problem. Smart man, smart yeah. man. And also it's helped 
with with my films as well because I timed it that uh, you know I got taken to America to work and I needed to film people in America so I would go and do the work and stay on for three days and go filming and there's things that I couldn't afford to do because as I say all my films are made off my credit card and so I'd go oh, okay actually yes I do I could that'd be quite handy to be in San Francisco yeah let's go to San Francisco yeah I'll take that job okay if it's offering but it mainly it was can I play golf and <laughs> what's in it for me and that's just purely from years of you know it's, uh, I'm coasting on what I've done before I'm I'm you know people want to work with me I do my great I do what I think is a great job while I'm there I put all into it and at the end of it great I'm somewhere that's helpful for me and i'm going to go and play this amazing golf course. course so i've been to you know south korea singapore new zealand you know all around the place it's been great i've been to augusta recently so perfect yeah and, and you should be able to i think that's the, the beauty of freelance and i know a lot of people who freelance and just book every working day and take it up but actually i think you should be able to use it a bit to your own advantage this this long into a freelance career you know there's got to be something in it for me. No, definitely. Definitely. I, I can't fault you for that at all. And I mean, one of the things that really jumped out to me as, as well was that I saw that you started your own post-production company. Um, yes. Anybody who <laughs> has that sort of entrepreneurial trait or has managed to start something up themselves, um, yeah. Again, I admire it a lot. I mean, I'm. Thank you. I've, I've it was, only just, it was I've a always, mad time. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'd like to ask you about it because I'm hoping to start something up in the not too distant future. COVID put a, sort of put the brakes yeah, on it, but for sure. I'd, uh, I'd just like to to ask what that experience was like. Uh, it was some of the, the most fun times of my life, and some of the most darkest periods as well. Um, mm. It was because suddenly. It's going from just, you know, everyone is a client. I've got clients that when you're a post-production house, the things that are expected of you, the, you know, the, sorry, if they say jump and you say how high, it really was like that. It was just like, and you're trying to cut corners everywhere. You're trying to make money. And it was, it was very, very difficult to do. Now, we did it on the back of um, three of us who'd known each other for a long time. We felt we were interchangeable as editors. And we got, we, we eyed a contract that we'd been doing sort of, you know, bits and pieces on ourselves and said to them, do you want us to look after all of your posts? So that sort of became what we did. So we got a small building in, small couple of rooms in Soho and then expanded out to a building in Soho with five, six suites. All in the meantime, having massive arguments in tube stations, sleeping overnight, digitising tapes. You know, this is the days of digitising tapes. We were, and one of us would stay in there if the runner was sick. One of us would stay in at night, put a tape in, ingest, go to sleep. The alarm goes off, get up. Yeah, I spent nights in Soho on a couch ingesting tapes and then editing. You know, brush yourself down and sit there waiting for the client to come in. Yeah. And, you know, just, just that sort of thing. It was, it was tough, tough work. But it is, you know, people think, oh, you work in television. It's all very lightweight. I've had absolutely sleepless days and and nights just getting things done. So it was super exciting. And, you know, I was 
little kid from Perth, and I had an office in you know post production suite in uh, in Soho, and we had a great time. Everything that entailed, you know, okay. it was it was fantastic. But oh man, you know, mm-hmm. I was I was living in Brighton at the time, so I get home and I'd sort of just hit the pillow and then bounce back and out the door again, and it was it was tough, but learned so much. You know, every day in there, I learned about dealing with clients. I learned about more about machine rooms than I ever wanted to know. We were lucky. One of the guys I worked with just is one of those guys who touches a machine and he just knows everything. So I learned a lot off him. We're still, we're still the best of mates now. And it was so it was exciting that way. You'd, you'd come away just going, wow, what, what happened today? I don't, I don't know what happened today. You know? And we got out of it with a bit of cash, funnily enough. Most, most uh, post-production houses crash and burn and never hear from them again. But we... Essentially, our biggest client wanted to take all the work in, internally, and so we sold them a bunch of our equipment and one of the editors, and ran off into the sunset. <laughs> you know, that was like so. That was quite good, but a lot of fun. But actually, now thinking about it, my wife would tell you. Mm. Good man, you good man. As long as you've come out with it out of it with a profit i mean at the, at the end of the day i mean from the from the cold uh, yeah. business objective side yeah. of things that's the that's the way to go isn't it and yeah and, and bundle, bundles us bundles of stories i can tell you over beer but not on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, may, may, maybe one day maybe one day, but one day yeah absolutely one of the one of the things that sticks sticks out to me from that and one of the things i suppose that you know it comes across that you're very grateful for is just that that the fact that you learnt a lot from the experience, you know, oh, everything. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a as you said, it's a very all or nothing sort of, you know, it's all in. You know, you, you take the good with the bad, and it, it, it is what it is. Um, and with this podcast in particular, after everybody that I speak to, I always like to sort of reflect uh, and take away a lesson from it. Like, for example, one of the best experiences that I've had with this podcast that I was given the opportunity to record from a box in Wembley Stadium which nice. you know as a kid that's a massive football fan yeah. that was just like a dream um one of the things that I got from that from the guest I was speaking to was to aim for excellence not for perfection um and that really resonated with me because one of my biggest downfalls arguably as a person is that I'm just a bit of a perfectionist hence probably why I don't enjoy editing as much as I really should because <laughs> I want things to be perfect. Um, and one of the, that's sort of what the sort of a message yeah. that I'm getting that's coming from you. And to regard, sometimes you've just got to please people. Uh, yeah. Well, lessons, and, lessons yeah. that you've learned um, as far as that concerned. What could you say? I, I think that's a, a great thing. I mean, I think I was, I always consider myself very lucky to have started in news. You, because I'm deadline motivated. You know, it's it's and at news in news it was you know was was there pictures on it? That's you know it was like a minute and a half of someone talking and was everything pictures because the worst thing you could do was there'd be a black hole in it. It was like if it went to air and there was a black hole, you know, everyone just comes storming out looking for you. <laughs> so it was like it almost didn't matter what was on there. Your first aim was to get there on time, make sure there was no black holes in it. Great job done. So for me, it's always been. I can see the end 
and it's just got to finish. And it's and you know, people say that in other uh, things, and editing films and particularly music, isn't it? You didn't finish the album. You just got to the end where you had to hand it over. You know what I mean? It's like that's why we get you know, remastered versions and all other thoughts, re-recordings of albums. It's, it's people go back and try and tinker it, but actually, you just things just come to an end, and you have to have to hand it over. With my own films, that's what happened. It's it's because I cut my own films in my study at home. You know, I could tinker away forever. I'll just mm. pop upstairs and do it. And then someone says, "Oh, you're in the Melbourne Film Festival. Oh, are we? Okay. And we need your film by such as that. You're like, really? Mm. <laughs> okay, right. Now I have to finish. Now I have to go. That's it. Now we have to say, you know, someone actually has to say to you, "No, you can't use that song. Yes, you can." So suddenly, you know, I had two years cutting it and then I had two weeks to finish it mm. and that's really suddenly a lot of decisions are out of your hands you know I had a, a one one minute section had to come out because the band Chicago wouldn't clear one of their tracks for us so I had to find I found another bit that I just wanted to put straight in so I found another bit that was a minute and I dropped that in yeah and instead of getting it remixed I just did a little mix and made it sound roughly the same yeah, little things like that, and that so that was crazy. I mean, and again, just going back to what we we're talking about before, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is say yes, and then work out how the hell you're going to be able to do it. Yeah, that's that's, that's I've done that my entire career. You know, it's like, can you do that and that? Can we get it? Oh yeah, 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 no worries. <laughs> just like, all right, what have yeah. I done? What have I yeah. agreed to? But. There's probably something in the back of your head going, "Yeah, we'll give it a shot." And you know, in the days of software, and I'm I'm no technical computer genius or anything, but I always think if I know a certain bit about something, that's applicable to something else, and I'm pretty good at doing that. Mm. So lessons learned are very much take take everything, say yes, give it a go. If you don't like it, don't go back. I see a lot of people go, "Oh God, I've been a year." doing this this freelance job or that and I think well you're never going to find another job while you're doing that job it's very easy to say with lots of experience but it's still better to be your life's a bit more important than that and I've I have stopped working with two or three people just because I thought oh, that's that, that just doesn't interest me that sort of environment mm. and and we do have to stop ourselves and say it's just telly it's just a film Let's not let's not shout at people. Let's not you shout at that person. Um, yeah. Work, find people you like to work with. It's it, it, that'll work itself out, and often their journeys will take you somewhere else as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly. what's happened with me completely. Just like, well, there we go. There we go. Yeah, because similar similar to you, I wouldn't. Well, I, I guess I. I use the podcast as a networking tool within itself, you know, but, yeah. st but still I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as, you know, the big, the, the biggest extrovert that, you know, always goes out to try and meet new people and uh, whatnot. Yeah. Agreed. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, people, people always say to me, oh, well, you just get on with everyone and you, you get in a room and you'll go that old thing. Oh, if you just dropped you in a room, you didn't know anyone, you'd get on with it. And that's because, I wouldn't want to stand there not talking to anyone. Yeah. And if I'm in, in a room with someone for 12 hours a day, probably, we better get on, you know. Of course. Like, <laughs> that's, that, that's, 
absolutely the most important thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure people don't work with me because I probably never stopped talking or singing or doing something that annoyed them. Then fine. We don't have to like everyone. We don't like all like the same sort of music. We don't they all like the same edits. You know, and if someone doesn't like the way I edit, that's fine. There seems to be seven other people who quite like it. So we'll work it out, you know. Yeah. And again, something that you said, saying yes to everything, that's something that, that I've always sort of been brought up to to follow in, in regards to just opportunities, just create and take any opportunity that's given to you. Even if at that, even if that, even in that moment in time, if you can't see how you're going to complete it, just just say yes because it will, as you say, create opportunities for you. Yeah, absolutely. Or. I was I was always told um, probably by my parents and just the way I was brought up. It was like you know, if, if if you want to be working, just work. You know, sometimes sure you want to be working in TV. Well, take that other job, and you don't know who that bloke you're going to meet next or that woman you're going to meet goes. Oh, that's funny because we got someone who needs an assistant editor or. You know, I, I, I use nepotism to get in here. My sister was working at Sky News and she said, come in. And I went and met the guys and they said, yeah, well, come in and do some work. Mm-hmm. Great. I, I dragged another two or three people, friends of mine in, saying, oh, you know, uh, a nephew or a cousin, I think it was a cousin. And just he was a bit, didn't know what he wanted to do with himself. And I said, well, come in the Sky. Come and work in the lines area there and watch the recordings come in. And it wasn't for him in the end, but he did six months there enjoyed his time, met a few people, and then went off and did something else. And sometimes you have to do something you don't like to realise, actually, that is what I want to do. Of course. Yeah, that's quite cool. That that was good fun, you know. Yeah. And, and again, that that's it. Yeah, grab the fun bits. The, the, the good bits outweigh the bad bits. Definitely. Um, I mean... Something that, again, it's just sort of popped into my head and it's not, I, I don't exactly want to end the podcast with it, but I'll start looking at wrapping it up before. <laughs> but one of the things that I wanted to ask is you talked about having um, trouble with like acquiring the rights to certain songs or whatnot for, you, for your work. Um, yeah. The world of copyrights uh, and obtaining the rights to things, um, I'm sort of, you know, I'm a, as I say, I'm a, I'm a spring chicken in that regard. Um, yeah, me, me too, I've, and I've been around for ages. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's quite hard for people to to grasp and understand, especially for, you know, say for people um, completing university projects or assignments um, mm-hmm. and looking to get into work themselves. So how, how what advice can you impart in regards to dealing with rights uh, and not ending up in court? Because... <laughs> And I'll tell you this, one of the things I wanted to do was when, when I launched this podcast, I wanted to use the intro to Can You See Me by Jimi Hendrix, the little bit on the guitar. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Me, me mate who's in a band said, do not do that. Don't touch it. Don't touch yeah. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, you know what? I, I, I'd like to say I was an expert on this, but I'm, I'm not. Mm. It, is, it is absolutely a game of cat and mouse, it seems. And I think in the day and age where music, they're not making money out of selling music. Someone's making money somewhere, Spotify's and so forth. But for a band to be making music and for publishers to make music, essentially film and TV has become the almost the biggest earner. Mm. So I think we've seen prices go up and people not saying no, but actually just it's costing a lot of money. Um, what was interesting for me is because in a lot of cases, in the first film I made, 
his, his publishing was just scattered across the place and who owned the recordings and who owned the publishing and and so some of them were right okay that's fine that's fine we know we know this guy we'll let it go another one they wanted seven and a half grand for a song it was like yeah. track track eight on a, a an album that sold about 500 copies and purely i think someone went wow someone's asking for this song finally let's charge them a, a mint mm. and i said thanks very much and we changed it so in a, in a way we started double bluffing this going well no, we're not going to use it then no worries. And essentially, if you really need something, go and make the deal before you go. That's that's the thinking. Um, you know, you see a lot of music documentaries and there's got three of the songs and then you just hear some stuff wafting underneath it. That's because they just, you know, someone couldn't come to a deal and it seems very strange that you can't. What I, what I learned was also that you can have a, a live DVD and then it's just a normal sort of publishing rights deal that they get money per sale per play but once it's a film where you're dropping the music in and even though it's a documentary about someone you can't do it on the same deal mm. now they tried to do that a little bit with my first film and thought they could sort of change it change the rules slightly on it, but you can't it has to be paid for as a separate entity publishing recording and so forth so in the end we got around some things by using live recording so we didn't have to pay for the recorded version and we're lucky too that one of the bands is they owned a lot of it, but any of the stuff that they didn't own and people wanted money, I just out took it out. That's it. Thanks for coming, you know. Mm. But it's still going to cost me an arm and a leg. Well, yeah. maybe an arm. I don't think it'll take the leg. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks, thanks for sort of clarifying that because it is a, you know, it's a, it's a sort of, it's a cloudy world for. Oh, yeah, I wish I wish I knew more and. and I wish I knew more, and it, it, it's, it just seems, you know, it's the same with archive and it's the same with accessing, you know, World Cup footage. You know, yeah. It comes, this is the way they've paid so much for the rights of these things now that they've got to make it back somehow. And you just think, actually, a lot of this stuff's going to go to ground and not be seen because no one can afford it. Yeah. No, that makes so, sense. I know. Um, but looking at, you know, finishing off now, I, something that I wanted to ask obviously with all your your experiences within working in film and television and um, obviously as an editor and a director with your sort of professional lens on what is your favorite film of all time oh, that's cool. should have prepped me um I like things for different reasons um wow um Documentary-wise, I would say something like The Imposter. I think that's a fantastic film. Uh, just a clever idea and, and beautifully laid out. A massive fan of Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock because I like that, and it's again a bit what I'm saying, not, no way comparing myself to Alfred Hitchcock, but the idea that he created a box for himself. Yeah. He created something... Yeah, it's like a dogma almost. It's like it has to be shot from here, it has to be there, and it's like, and for that you you you're there. You're claustrophobic with them. It's caught, you're caught in the wheelchair. You're caught looking out the window. And so for that regard, it's fantastic. Um, I, I, was, I was listening to the podcast, the rewatchables, and I was thinking about rewatchable films and films that come on that you 
yeah, that's it. You got to stay up now, don't you? Mm. So I, I love the comedy Galaxy Quest. I think that's one of the greatest films ever made. Hysterical. I'm not sure. Um, there's a lovely Australian film. Well, lovely is probably the wrong word. Called Sweet Country, which is uh, dealing with the very early days of Australia and dealing with the Indigenous people. Um, it's shocking and beautiful and just well worth digging out and I'm going to remember a bunch of other films as soon as you sign off (laughs) (laughs) No, but what I am anti a bit is you know the Avengers films and things like that Mm. I I just find a a lack of passion from listen they're remarkable and what they do I couldn't do and I admire them but you know it's it's a big thing bashing another big thing at the end and where's the why do we care and who's going to die and who's going to survive and doesn't mean anything to me. So no, I'm, I'm on the same page as you there. So. <laughs> uh, now, Mike, as the same mate, it, it's been a pleasure to be introduced to you and to, to meet you. you and talk to you over the, the last hour. Um, and as far as you know, any future projects or anything that you want to promote, you're, you're more than welcome to come onto the, the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Promote you, thank you. of course. Um, anything about where people can find you or, or check your work out at all? Uh, you, know, you can check out emptybrook.com. That's sort of got links to bits and bobs that I'm doing through the course of the year. I don't update it as much as I should because I'm just not very good at self-publicising. <laughs> Too busy working, we'll say. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's not very eventful until huh. such things are happening. My, my recent film, hopefully I'm getting a full commercial release on it next beginning of next year we're going to try to aim to get that out um which is about a guy called steve kilby from an australian band called the church so do go and check them out because they are fantastic brilliant and i will leave a link to your website in the description below if anybody does want to check that out so i want to say mike it's been a pleasure to talk mate thank you very much for your time thank you cheers max brilliant um i'll tag you in everything as well just so you know when everything's up and out and i'll send you an email great Brilliant. Nice to chat with you, Mike, and hopefully we can do it sometime again. Indeed. Thanks, Max. Take care, mate. All right, bye-bye.